Hey, thanks for being with us. Uh, it's time for us to unpack uh, another chapter of the book of Genesis. That's what you've joined. It is the Wednesday Bible study at the foundation, a men's Bible study. There's men here in the room. We have been meeting uh, at various locations for about eight years. Uh, and uh, this is the Rick and Bubba Studios. Uh, we, we're walking through one of the books of the Bible. Uh, we're, we're walking through it word for word, expository teaching. Uh, and uh, if you are wanting to go back and pick up chapters, since today we'll be in chapter 34, if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, if you would like to go back and catch any other uh, session of this study, you can do that by going to BurgessMinistries.com and click on Listen, or you can go to RickandBubba.com and click on the YouTube channel, and you can see the archive there. Uh, and if you'd like to go in past studies, you can find the archives at, at that same place. All right, let me let you know a few things that are going on before we jump in. Okay, it's a pretty active week. Uh, this Bible study is brought to you by themanchurch.com. This is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, it is a complete plan to reach and disciple the men of your church, of your community. We also have at themanchurch.com individual resources uh, that are just for you, for you to grow um, uh, on your own. We also have a, an app that we just uh, launched a few months ago called the Strive app, S-T-R-I-V-E. You can find it at the top of the page at themanchurch.com or anywhere that you get apps. You can try it for seven days, see if you like it, uh, and and um, and then if you like it, you'll pay a fee each month to keep it. Uh, but there's a daily devotional that's available to you Monday through uh, Sunday, we update those every week, but we also have archives of this Bible study and other Bible studies from other teachers, sermons, articles, all kinds of tools that can help you grow spiritually. So add that to your arsenal. Strive is the app. Now, when we speak about our men's discipleship strategy, it features men gathering, uh, which men's ministry has done for a long time, but it also features, which hasn't been done very well, uh, men getting in small groups and working through a curriculum together. We have three curriculum. They're 40 weeks, uh, and they're available at themanchurch.com too. And if you set it up, we you, you have men gathering for a high-challenge message. We have speakers and teachers that we send out. Uh, and then, of course, they leave those services and go into high-equipping, which is the curriculum. Now, let me pass along this week uh, some man churches that are going on. If you're watching this or listening to this on September the 7th, uh, that's when we are doing it. Uh, then Rich Wingo uh, tonight at Landmark Church in Montgomery, Alabama. So there's a man church there. They're going through the strategy. Tomorrow night, September the 8th, uh, I will be in Dothan, Alabama at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, and they'll be kicking off the strategy. Uh, looking ahead, um, I will be uh, in Webster, Florida. I'll be at First Baptist Church there. That will be via video. Uh, coming up on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, uh, they'll be kicking off that strategy. We have a kickoff package where I can still be in the room with the men. I can tell you how it works. I can give you your first message, and they do that via video. So they're doing that. Also on the, on the 11th, Andy Blanks will be in Locust Fork, Alabama, and he will be uh, at Locust Fork Baptist Church. Uh, on the 17th, Salem Heights Baptist Church, Laurel, Mississippi. Lance Ingram will be there. On September 22nd, Andy Blanks will be at First Baptist Church Opelika in Opelika, Alabama. They're in year three of the strategy, so they've been at it a while. And then on the 25th of September, Scott Dawson will be at Friendship Church in Athens, Alabama. They're kicking it off. Uh, and then on the 25th, 
Uh, also, Andy Blanks will be in Starkville, Mississippi, uh, and he'll be at First Baptist Church in Starkville, Mississippi. So that kind of gets you all of September. If you want to see, you know, others that are going to be happening in October and November and December or even into 2023, you can go to manchurch.com. One thing I'd also like to make available to you today, my wife and I, Sherry, are going to be joining Mac Brunson and Scott Dawson at a grief conference coming up at Valleydale Church. That's my home church in Birmingham, Alabama. Sherry and I will be part of the panel, and we'll be talking about what Scripture says about uh, you know, suffering and going through the, the grief, the earthly loss of, of a loved one. Uh, maybe you have uh, terminally ill family members or friends. Just dealing with grief from a biblical standpoint, uh, this is limited seating. There'll be some small group breakouts there too. September 24th, Valleydale Church. Tickets are available. For that, you would go to rickandbubba.com uh, and look under upcoming events for September 24th. If you'd love to be with us or desire to be with us, Get a ticket before those seats are gone. So there you go. You're updated on everything that, that's uh, available for right now. Uh, those websites can help you look at things that may be further down the road. Uh, let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into Genesis chapter 34. Lord, today as we unpack your holy word, help us to glean from it uh, everything that you desire. We know that this is your word of God. We know that it is without error. We know that it is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, may we receive it into our hearts today as a group uh, or as uh, uh, masses that are watching and listening to this and who knows where. But just as important, may we hear it as the individual because you've made us all very unique. Uh, and there, there are so many unique things going on in the life of, the, of each individual, including me, and you also speak to us personally. And I pray that that happened today. Uh, we, we pray for, for Jerry, uh, who's part of our group. We know that this back surgery that he so desperately needed has been a struggle. We know that he's still in a lot of pain. Uh, we pray, Lord, that the, the doctors will find the answers to the excruciating pain that he is still experiencing even after the surgery. Uh, and may your holy hands guide them and, and, and heal his body and get him back here with us and with his family. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, uh, so let's go to Genesis 34. Now, we do know this is crucial to make this point. Remember I told you last week that Moses gives us a little something here at the end to get us ready for what's next. And at the end of 33, we see that um, Jacob has settled things with Esau. He has been told by God to return to Bethel, to return to Canaan. And he is doing that, and he says he's going to stop for a rest for everybody. But he goes a step further. He's not putting tents up. He actually buys property. Now, make a note of that because that's crucial to this next chapter. Jacob was told, go back to Canaan, the land of your fathers, and that's where you land. You want to stop for rest, that's fine. But Jacob is not just stopping for rest. 
He's buying property. He's landing in a place where he will now be an alien. And he and we even get introduced to this man, Shechem, and we get introduced to the sons uh, of Hamer. And we know that he has pitched a tent. And you think, okay, the tent's okay, but then he buys property from them, which means he's thinking, he's thinking long-term. He's going to stay there long-term. So before we jump into this next thing, men and women who may be watching this, what happens next could have been avoided if Jacob had just kept going or had stayed a little while, got everybody rested, and kept moving to the destination that God told him to go to. Because he's now putting his family, and he's buying property from, from, from shady people, He's also immersing himself with people that God has told him that his sons should not marry, okay, and that he should not be in this place. He should be moving on, but he stays. Now, there's a there's a there's certainly the very very literal lesson we're about to learn, but there's a figurative lesson here too. S- staying where we stay and not moving on to where God told us to go doesn't have to be physical land. It can be a relationship. It can be a, a, a sin. It can be all kinds of things that we settle ourselves into when God said, now move on from this. You're a new man. You're a new woman. Don't be, don't be staying in the old place. And, uh, as, uh, as I have talked about um, as with a guy today, because I found out this morning this is a little bit lighter, not near as serious, but it still matters. Uh, I found out this morning when I walked out to get in my truck and it had rained really hard and rain had gathered on the top of my truck and it has a lift kit, so when I opened the car door at you know 5 o'clock this morning, cold water rained down on me and I realize I have not stopped cussing. So, uh, so, so, but so, so when that happened, uh, I, I realized that, that, that old Rick though dying is not dead. Okay. And so what I realized is, um, is that, and I was t- confessing that to the guys today. And I got a, I got a text from a guy who says I, that actually made me feel better I said, well, let's not feel good about it. I said, I said, I'm not where I'm going, but I'm not where I was. Okay. And, um, and, and so even based on the word I chose was growth. Okay. But, but the, uh, but, um, you know, I don't cold water just hits you, you know, right there early in the morning, all sleepy, you know, but, but anyway, so, um, so it's important for us to realize that. And one of the things that should really give us hope, you see the Apostle Paul, you know, writing one of the best things I heard, and I can't even remember who said it, or I would give them credit. The reason why the Apostle Paul wrote Romans chapter 8 is because he just finished dealing with Romans chapter 7, where he's like, is this sin nature ever going to be dead? You know, and then he says, but there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And you see Paul telling us throughout his life that he had not yet gotten to where he knew that he was being called, 
But then he does get to the end of his life. You know what he says? But I got there. I will receive the crown of righteousness. I did fight the good fight. I did run the race. So it's not like he never got there because if, if we think that we can't become the man that God's called us to be, then we have to believe he's not powerful enough to accomplish it. So be real careful with that. Keep making excuses, like I'm not making excuses, that, well, you know, we just never quite get there. Uh, well, I mean, be careful with that. I mean, it's okay to say that, you know, the, the flesh, you know, won a, um, a battle, but thanks to, to redemption, it shouldn't keep winning the war. Okay? So uh, so anyway, so re- there's a lot for us to take away from Jacob should not have bought property here. That's not what he was told to do. And he has now put his family, as you'll see, in a pretty dangerous place. So... Um, so, so go back to, to just just to make sure you know I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Flip over real quick, do you mind, to chapter 31, and I want you to look at verse 3. Everybody there? Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Nothing there about, about stopping where he's stopping. Going back to the land of your fathers. But Jacob buys land from some shady people, and he's setting up shop there. So that's not what he was supposed to do, and now he's made himself a resident alien buying land from some really bad people, settling in the land, not just resting. Jacob was in no hurry to be obedient to God and return to Bethel. Uh, Now look, he is commended, and this is what we do sometimes, for building the altar to the Lord there, and saying this was the altar to the God of Israel, which is the last thing we saw, which is becoming his new name. But here's the problem. You ready for the first one, as if we haven't been under conviction enough yet? He was the classic, I am saying one thing, but I'm doing another. I'm saying that I'm consecrating this place to the Lord. I'm just not doing it. And, uh, and if you remember the analogy, it was either last Wednesday or the Wednesday before about Jesus talking about the man who's wise and the man who's foolish. Both of these men heard what Jesus said, but only the wise one actually did them. That's who built their house on the rock. Not, they both heard it. And remember we also talked about it, and they both experienced storms. One of them fell and didn't survive it, and one of them did. And it wasn't, so they both heard it, but the wise one was the one who actually did it. So make a note of that too. Making and, and when you see what happens next, if you're not already familiar or you haven't already read ahead, what happens next will turn out to be a very costly detour. I mean a big one. And uh, what does that mean? Sin always matters. It always matters. You know, it's, it's one of the things that I've tried to teach. I had a chance to speak to a high school football team which I don't do as often anymore because most of what I do now is either men's ministry or Sherry and I with marriage or like we're going to be doing with, with suffering. So I don't do as much stuff with youth as I once did, but if I get an opportunity and feel led to do so, I will. And, um, and I, I told, you know, one of the things I've noticed that I have to be careful with sometimes with young people is that they will look to men like me and say, well, you you made all these bad decisions, but apparently it all works out. 
and and see what they don't know is all the damage that my sin did that that'll be with me till I'm dead or Jesus returns. So they don't know about all that. They they don't know about the chaos that it continues to cause. They don't know how it's affected every. It's going. Hey, it'll it'll affect uh, you know the upcoming marriages that I'll be attending. I've got one that uh, is coming up in uh, in a little less than a year, and um, that there'll be drama with that. You know, and uh, it doesn't mean I'm not redeemed. Uh, it just means it, what I want them to know is you got to stop all this foolishness when they see people like me. Are you, and they say, well, you can still really make bad decisions and defy God and really pretty much come out of it unscathed. In eternity, yes, made fully righteous, but on earth, that's just not true. All, all of us that have committed sin, it mattered, and, uh, and, and, it, and it caused us trouble. So I try to say, tell these young people, don't ever look at me and think I got away with it. I've been forgiven, but I didn't get away with it. The damage God said it would cause, it did. And uh, and, and that, that doesn't mean that I sit there in my house, you know, in depression. It doesn't mean that because I know that I've been redeemed. But to say that that uh, you can do those things and, it'll, and it won't really matter, it'll always matter. And so you're going to see that take place here, sadly, so let's look at uh, verse 1. And remember that Leah has given uh, Jacob six sons, but remember that we also talked about he got a daughter. Her, her, name, her name is Dinah. Uh, and it says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. So if Jacob gets her to where he's supposed to, the women she'd be interacting with would be her family. It would be people from Abraham and Isaac. Okay, but now Jacob has put her in a place that the women she's going to be interacting with are connected to some really bad people. So we don't know whether Dinah is just naive, uh, you know, because she apparently had been given zero guidance on be careful now if you go wandering around this place because she seems to do it with no hesitation Whatsoever, I, I remember when Sherry and I went to Israel, uh, and and part of that trip we made our way into Bethlehem, which is is of course run by Muslims, and uh, and when you went there as a white Christian, you you really had to be careful that you you stayed with the right group. So Sherry, who you know loves to take pictures and all this, we're there and we're with this actually Palestinian family who were Christians that were hosting us and we were having dinner in their, in their uh, apartment. And one time the husband looks up and says, where's your wife? I said, well, she's here somewhere. And, um, and he says, no, where, where is she? And I said, uh, I, I, I don't know. And so I, I go out and, and I look and Sherry is in the streets and she's taking pictures as a blonde haired, blue eyed white woman and uh, and he said she needs to come in right now. You need to go get her. She don't need to be wandering around there. That that's 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 highly dangerous. And so went down and she said I didn't know that. You know she said I'm sorry I was just got carried away that I was in Bethlehem. And he said that's fine, but do not walk these streets without your husband and me. You need you need to get back in the house. So so you you know a, a lot of times. We have to do our part, don't we, to kind of police and let our children know 
that there's some things in this world that they don't know or they're naive about, and we need to always tr- do our best. Uh, last night, you know, after we had this horrible thing in Memphis, uh, where this you know, you know killer gets out of jail and has not been rehabilitated, and just follows a, a, a female jogger and kills her. And you know what I did? I went home and I said, "When do you go and run?" Talking to my wife, she goes, "Well, I, I normally go to parks where there's lots of people." And da 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 da. I said, "Don't don't ever get up early in the morning or whatever and go off and run somewhere by yourself." You know, just just things you think about. I mean, unfortunately, we live in that kind of world. You know, and but uh, but Donna un, un, unfortunately had, had apparently not been taught any of that, and Jacob had, by our terms, had chosen to buy land in a very dangerous neighborhood. And uh, one thing that's interesting about Chapter 34 that I had not thought about, Warren Waresby, he's one of the commentaries I'll look at. He made a good point. He said, you will not see the name of the Lord mentioned anywhere in Chapter 34. I mean, he's, he's bought property in this area, and, and, and he's there. Uh, but he, but, but I, and I love this line, and this came from one of the, um, I think it might have come from Ferguson, and I, and I thought this was a great one. It says, when we disobey the Lord, and this is a write-down if you're taking notes, by the way. When we disobey the Lord, we put everyone in danger. Let me just let that sit a minute. When we disobey the Lord, we put everyone in danger. You know, it, this is that mistake that a lot of people make sometimes, and I certainly used to make it. I, re, I repent of that. Well, I mean, if I'm, if I'm sin, it just affects me. I mean, no, it, no, it, 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 I mean, does anybody think that Adam and Eve's sin just affected them? <laughs> You're dying. It affected you. I'm dying. It affected me. We've buried people. It affected them. Okay. Now it, it, it affects all of us. Uh, so sin is, it, it puts everyone in danger. And if we thought more like that, going, you know, if I'm not the man of God, or if you're watching this and you're a woman, I'm not the woman of God that God has called me to be first for him and then for my family, if I've made a decision that I'm going to disobey God, it isn't just that I, I should try to do a little bit better. I've made the decision to put everybody in danger. And, uh, and, and this is happening. So now we look at um, some very difficult uh, history to read about in verses 2 through 5. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the, the Hivite, uh, you know, you always watch the ites, the prince of the land saw her, talking about Dinah, he seized her, and he lay with her, and he humiliated her. This is the English Standard Version and the original Hebrew trying to be as, as, uh, as you know, appropriate as Moses can. What happened is Shechem, the son of Hamor, who was the prince of the land, raped Dinah. He grabbed her. Men are stronger than women, and he forced himself on her, and he defiled her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were, were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until his sons came in. All right, so let's, let's unpack this for a minute. So Dinah is raped. Shechem said that he loved her, 
and told his daddy that he wanted him to work out a deal so he could have her as his wife. So something, this is one of those things you see here, um, and you're going to see in a minute because when you first see this, you think, well, this is the this is the power of intimacy, even in a situation like this. When when he was intimate with her, even forcing himself on her, there was something about that connection, and the Bible says in his soul that that he that he decided that he wasn't treating her like trash now, even though he already had, that somehow he connected to her and said, I think I would like to make her my wife. I, I think I love her. I, I, I don't, I'm, I, I don't know if he was sorry that he did it, but in a minute you're going to see that the way this culture says, get, get me her for my wife is probably not going to be a, a romantic comedy that you would be watching. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a different feeling. And we'll see that in a minute. Uh, but anyway, so, he wants her as his wife, but the issue is the severity of the offense is different in these two cultures. Now, keep in mind, you're going to see later, uh, and when, when, when it all starts going bad, he not only rapes her, but he holds her hostage in his house. So, so you see how that's kind of a strange way to show somebody you love them is to rape them and then hold them hostage. You know, if he'd had some kind of, awakening he probably would have let her go and said i'm sorry i did that i actually love you and and i and i want i want to i want to i want to make it right i want to marry you uh you know and to make our relationship legitimate but it but it was kind of like get her for my wife oh by the way you can't leave we're holding you here so it, it it that's a very confusing uh dynamic there but but most of the commentary says, well, it's really the two different cultures. Uh, in one culture, this was not considered to be as severe because of the treatment of women as it was in the Jewish culture, because in their culture, this violated God's law. Uh, it brought defilement to the victim, and it brought in, in the Jewish uh, society judgment on the guilty. So it's not, it's, it's not just some small deal in the Jewish culture. And we're going to see that really play itself out. As a matter of fact, the Mosaic Law would later deal with this in Leviticus 18 by declaring it a sin and a crime for a man to to rape a woman in this way. Now, when you see Jacob, I want to be real clear with you here, your first reaction may be, well, he's being a coward. Why is he not immediately saying, I'm going to kill everybody? He's actually being smart. Uh, He realizes he's outnumbered. And he realizes if he makes a ruckus right now, he's going to be killed and, and Dinah's going to be killed or she'll just end up with this guy because he don't have the numbers. Again, the decision to, to live here. Uh, so what he's really doing is buying time to all the sons get in from the field because he didn't have them. Uh, so Jacob is, is actually being pretty wise right here. So now we get into what happens next in verses 6 through 24. So... Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field now, and as soon as they heard of it, and the men were the, the and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. You see a different reaction here. But Hamor spoke with him, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Underline that. 
give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Jacob was told what? Don't do this. And now you see this, this culture saying, well, look, let's just all blend. We can work all this out. My boy loves her. Let her be his wife. And then if y'all take any of my daughters you want for your sons and let's, you get, got any more daughters, we'll just all, we'll just all intermingle. Which God said, don't do. Okay. So, and that's the thing you got to understand. If we're not wise to the culture before we know it, we're making all kinds of deals with the culture. You know, if you, if you immerse yourself in a culture long enough, and I've seen it happen to me, I have to be careful of it even now. If you immerse yourself too much in, in, in the wrong culture, before you know it, things you thought should not be tolerated, you start thinking, well, that's not so bad. I mean, compared to some things going on, that's really not a big deal. And this is where we've ended up with no-fault divorces. We've ended up with cohabitation. Ain't no big deal. You know, before you know it, the culture makes something that it, that really God says was sin and, and, and the defilement. The culture, it becomes so normal, even we as the church sometimes go, well, I mean, everybody lives together. I mean, if you don't, you're not happy, I mean, shouldn't you be happy? Just divorce this person. Well, well no one, there, there's nothing here about adultery, and there's nothing about either one of us being non-believers. Yeah, but, I mean, nowadays, I mean, no-fault divorce is no big deal, and it'll be fine, and it'll be best for the kids. You ever, you ever heard that garbage before? It never turns out to be that way, though, does it? But But so here's what happens next. So... Now we're trying to cut a deal, and in 10, he says, You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be uh, open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father uh, and, and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. Whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as, as great a bride price, and give as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. So here, here is, is Shechem now saying, look, we'll, we'll pay whatever. I'm a prince in this land. You know, it was pretty, a dowry was normal in the culture that if you were going to take somebody's daughter, you had, there was, there was a certain amount of uh, either, either that the bride was worth a certain amount, but you also gave the daddy uh, a certain amount uh, for the bride. And he's saying, I'll give you anything you want for her. The culture will do that too, won't they? A lot of times if the culture can't get you to go against God just out of your own conviction, they'll try to give you a way to go against him to justify it, saying, well, I sure could make a lot of money doing it. I mean, wouldn't God want me to have more money? I mean, that sure would take a lot of pressure off my family and my bills. And I mean, if I compromise here, but I'm going to make a lot of money at it, surely God didn't see anything wrong with that. But see, that's like a, that's a saying that – and. I remember having to deal with this, and I still throw this out in front of my life because I'm going through sanctification like all the redeemed, where you, you really have to get to a point, and this is tough. You have to get to the point to say, if I will just do everything the way God said to do it, regardless of the outcome from a cultural standpoint, regardless of the outcome of how the world defines it, if I will do things the way God said to do them, it is impossible that I would ever be wrong. 
And somebody might say, well, you, you, you did this, and your business was a disaster. Yeah, but I was still right with God. Well, you, you did this, and these people won't have anything to do with you anymore. You lost that deal. But I'm still right with God. Well, man, you started making so little money, you had, to, you had to sell your house. And you had to go, and does God really want you to sell your house and move into some garden home? If that's what it takes to be right with him, yeah. So wait a minute, you were like really successful and really a big deal by the world standard. You wouldn't compromise God. Now you've lost everything. That's what he wanted. If I'm right with him, yes. See, that's the key. Now, if you're not right with him and you end up in that situation, it might be punishment. But but if everything if you lose things or things don't go the well or you missed big money or you missed this and you missed that promotion or you missed that and your kid missed that school. You know, you could be sitting there right now standing before God going, why was my kid not admitted to that school? And you know what God may tell you in eternity? Because it was going to be the end of their life. That's why. You were going to lose them. They were going to go to that school. They were going to be turned away from me, and it was going to send them straight to hell. That's why I shut that school down. Do you not trust me? Look, I, I have. it's been so clear with me. I was so disappointed, and it seems silly now as an older man, but I was so disappointed that I didn't get to the college that I thought I was supposed to play for. And football, of course, I was an idiot, and it was a much. It was going to be a much bigger platform, and I mean, really, getting to know God more intimately. You know what I, I know is absolutely true. I wasn't given that platform because I couldn't handle it. I mean, I really, literally believe in the things that I've learned about God. You embarrassed me enough at Troy. I would have hated how bad you would embarrass me on a team that actually had a platform. You would have really confused some people. You think I'm going to put you on that platform? All you would have done in, uh, done is embarrass me. So I, prote- I protected the kingdom from that because you couldn't handle it. And, then, and there you were, poor, poor, pitiful me, and what you didn't know, you, you wouldn't go in there because of, because of who you were. Because if I'd have sent you there, you'd have caused a lot more damage than you caused anyway. And so... We, we have to understand that take it remember, – remember this. I just talked to these kids about it on, on Friday. I had 10 minutes, and I said, I got a simple message for you. There's two roads. Don't forget that Jesus says in Matthew 7, beginning of verse 13, I think. I think I have that right. The road that is wide and the road that is easy and the road most people are on is leading to destruction. It, it's wide. It's easy to maneuver. It's easy. doesn't cost you anything. Most people are on it. That feels good. But they're all headed to destruction. But if, if you enter, you can't even get on the right road without getting through this gate first. You enter a narrow gate, and that way is hard. There's only a few people on it, but it leads to life. Wait a minute. So the good life is is probably headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, if it's not a blessing from God, yeah. Now, if it's a blessing from God, hallelujah. God blesses us. God gives us good things and allows us good moments. Certainly. And he blesses people. I'm not talking about that. 
But but if you say I choose the wide and easy road just because I don't want to handle the self-control and discipline that following Jesus requires of me, I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want it to cost me my sin. I don't want it to cost me. It's just too difficult a road. And you went to the other road for that reason, you're on the road to destruction. And that's where most people are. I asked the coach Friday, I said, how many players we got here? And everybody said, I probably what, 80, 81. I said, so really, by what Jesus said, most of this team's on the wrong road. I said, so I'm not here to talk to, to all of you because most of you are not going to listen, but I am, am here to talk to the few because this is, this is why God sent me here today, for you. So how many want to be the few? And there was a good response. But it wasn't a majority. But it was a few. Were they sincere? We'll see. But that's the message, isn't it? That message don't take about 10 minutes. It gets right to the point, though, doesn't it? So, so this is what's taking place here. You see the people that, that Jacob and his family aren't supposed to be with, they're offering an easy road. Let's just gloss this over. Sorry about the rape. Here's money. Here's women. Here's our protection. Let's just all be one family. Well, that sounds like the devil himself, doesn't it? It's going to be fine. God, I know we didn't do what God said, but it's going to be fine. We, we can repair this without repentance. That's the key, isn't it? If you think you're going to repair something you've done against God without repentance, you're out of your mind. You're, you're, headed for a, you're headed for a bad ride. But repentance, he hears. Praise God, right? So let's, let's go on. So you see the deal that's before them. 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. Well, they've learned from their daddy, haven't they? Because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They can't, they're not going to let it go. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. They got they're, they're putting a plan together. For that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Now keep in mind these are adult males. This is, a, this is where they played truth or dare, and they chose dare, and they didn't know this was what it was going to be. Okay, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Now, when they say daughter, they're talking about their sister. So what's the deal that is laid out before them? I tell you what, we'll agree to this, but our sister marrying some uncircumcised male is a disgrace to us in our faith. So if y'all will all go get circumcised to be like us so we won't be handing our sisters and uh, over to uncircumcised men, y'all all be circumcised, then we can all be one family. We'll take y'all's daughters, y'all take ours. But you got to be circumcised. I mean, you got you got to meet us halfway on this. Now, we all know they don't mean this. They're, they're setting them up for vengeance is what they're doing, if you don't know the story. So their words pleased Hamer and, and, and Hamer's son Shechem, and the young man did not delay to do this thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. Talking about Shechem. 
So Hamer and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in, trade in for it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Uh, let us take their daughters as wives and let us give our daughters. Uh, only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. We uh, will not their livestock, their property, and all the beasts be ours. Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out uh, of the gate of his city listened to Hamar and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the, the gate of his city. Now, what, what Moses is letting us know, this daddy and this son are very, very influential, apparently. And so when you go to the gate of the city, that shows that you're high-ranking in a community. And at the gate of the city, all the movers and shakers are there. And they said that they had enough influence, they could go to the men at the gate of the city and say, we've cut a deal. You know, and you, you ever heard the good news, bad news? Uh, let's start with the good news. We're all going to get women. And these, these Jewish people that are living with us, they're loaded. They got, they, man, they got livestock. They got money. We'll get that. And that's what this is all about. See, they're being deceived. They're deceiving these people. But don't think for a minute that these people that they should not have been living with, they don't have, they're not cleaning this. They're wanting this mixture to happen so they can take everything from Jacob and his family and it be theirs. The money, the wealth. The women are just pawns in all this, sadly. Okay? So, but what what Shechem and Hamar don't know is they're dealing with a family of deceitful people, okay? These people have been deceiving before, before Shechem ever thought to deceive, and they're getting out deceived, and it's about to get real ugly, okay? So everybody's trying to deceive each other, okay? So, and, and how you talk grown men into circumcising themselves, I'll never know. But 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 I will say this: these are these are great salespeople, okay. And uh, but you know what it shows though, really, that we can be so greedy. We can be so greedy, and we can be so carnal that we would circumcise ourselves just to get what we want. Think about how many times you've done stupid things for gain, for worldly pleasure. My hands up. Okay, so that's what happens. So here, here, look, look at verse twenty-five uh, through thirty-one. I've just entitled these verses. Here comes vengeance. Okay, on the third day, when they were sore, Moses lets us know about that. You can tell a man wrote this. Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, keep an eye on them now. Dinah's brothers. Now, now, this is what you got to know about the family here. You know, there's a lot of mixing. We got handmaids, we got Leah, we got Rachel, we got another handmaid servant. These two sons, they're 100% blood kin to Dinah. Same mama, same daddy. Okay, so there's a little more closeness there. So, so Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. Moses not wasting a lot of time, uh, not a lot of. De- they just said 
they're in there recovering from the circumcision. They're not going to be ready to fight. Let's get our swords. Let's kill every one of them. They kill every single male. Okay, so this deal that they said we're going to get, they, they, that, was not, that was not legit. They killed Hamor, so he's out. Didn't matter how influential he was. His son Shechem, who did it, he's out uh, with the sword. They took Dinah out of Shechem's house. See, there's that t- where I told you he was keeping her hostage. He wouldn't even let her go. So now they've brought her out of his house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones. They took their kids and their wives, take them too, and all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Simeon and Levi decided that they were not going to forgive and forget. And they killed everybody. And then they took the wives and the kids, and they took everything that they had. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. And, uh, and he says, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, Perizzites, uh, my numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. And then they said back to Daddy, but he, but he should treat our sister like a prostitute? You good with that, Dad? So here's one thing we can take away. Don't rape Levi and Simeon's sister, okay? They take that very serious. They killed everybody. They're killing people that didn't have anything to do with it. Okay, so, and then they're plundering and taking everything they got. So this is definitely vengeance that they are taking. Um, and and they, they not only, like I say, it's bad, not bad, but for them to go and kill the daddy and the son who actually were in on the raping of their sister, that part you can go, okay, that was, that was precise. They're upset with the people who actually committed the crime and the defilement of their sister. But they didn't stop there. They killed every all the males. They killed every man there was and then took everything they had. So this, this was evil and pagan-like. Now, Jacob is angry with them for how far they went with it, but he's also frightened. And, and, and again, we're, he's beginning to see this legacy of deceit before his own eyes. Jacob has created a legacy of deceit. His sons are, are deceitful, and they're seeking vengeance, and they're violent, and, and they're, they're behaving toward these pagans the way pagans would have behaved toward them. And so if you don't think this is a biggie to Jacob, how, how y'all kind of left justice and y'all went on with vengeance, we'll see later in our study when we're getting toward the end of it, I mean, when it's, when it's, when it's almost over, we'll be at the end and you'll see Jacob dealing with his sons and he'll come back to this with Simeon and Levi and he doesn't forget it. They, they, they will be demoted on his blessing and they will be there, some of the blessing will be withheld from these two, and he'll say, because you took your sword and you were murderers. You were violent. 
So he's going to bring this back up uh, when he's getting at the end of his life with these two sons. And let me tell you what these two sons have done now. When Now, he starts out with the frightened part saying, hey, you've got me now at odds with these people, but don't miss one of the things that's happening here. I bet he'll go now. I mean, <laughs> he's got to go. He's got to go now. Okay, he wasn't ever supposed to be there. All right, but he'll go now. And, and and so, one thing that we also see, and this is what we have to think about. And I was really thinking about this. I don't know. How, I don't know how many of you have children and grandchildren, but I assume that uh, that a lot of us do, if not all of us, that are in this room and out there. I don't know. But remember, when Jacob got there, he put this altar up to the God of Israel and it looks like like we do many times we'll justify things well I need to be here so I can point people to Jesus yeah I understand you still go down to the bars where 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 you were delivered from well I go in there now see and I can just tell people about Jesus and that's okay unless somebody comes in there and finds you drunk again and then now you're just using it for an excuse not to leave Okay, so he builds this altar in the middle of this pagan place, supposedly to point these pagans to the one and only living God. Let them see him worship. How do you think his testimony looks now? Can you imagine going over, and this is the thing we got to think about our children. Now look, when they become adults, they make their own decisions. Don't misunderstand me. Okay, and I understand that. But when they're living under your own roof, as these boys still were, when you have children, I have children under my own roof, can you imagine walking over to one of these women whose husband has been slain by your boys who had nothing to do with raping their sister, and they've captured her children, and they took all their money and probably burned their house to the ground. I don't know what they did to their houses. Um and they've taken over the area through vengeance. And you want to talk to this pagan woman about how she didn't need to be a pagan anymore. And she said, you mean like your, your, your sons? You mean like your sons? Your sons act like pagans. They're worse than we are. And you want us to be like you? You think that hurt the testimony? You think we can go ahead and take the altar and take it down now? You think it has any credibility whatsoever? Now that Jacob's sons have run roughshod over the whole place and killed innocent people, did it have anything to do with it? So, yeah, now, now there's a credibility problem. I don't think that Jacob is going to have much success telling pagans to repent while his children act like pagans. And we don't. We won't have much credibility either. How many times? Just be honest. Whether it's fair or not, how many times have you saw the behavior of someone's children and thought less of them? May not be fair. Now, I'm not talking about when they're out on their own and they're making their own decisions, even though that that's that's not good either but especially if they live inside the man's house and they live like pagans. And then that guy shows up at church and is supposed to be a deacon or 
supposed to serve the church or teach a Sunday school class. Maybe he's even the pastor. You think, man, maybe he should start with telling his kids how to act before he tells us how to act. It, it does damage the credibility. And um, so, and Jacob here seems less concerned about his daughter's purity and his witness before the lost. And sadly, he's more concerned about his own safety. Can we say this? Had Jacob taken his family on to Bethel as instructed, is it fair to say this whole thing could have been avoided? That's fair. But God, I mean, you know, one of those, is always true to his promises. And we'll see as we continue to read on that God was not finished with Jacob. And that, that's good news, isn't it? Sometimes we mess up and we mess up bad. But God's promises to us, for those who repent, those promises stand. And as we finish out Jacob and continue to go through Genesis, we're going to see more heartache. We've got some heartache still coming. But we're also going to see joy. Because you know what? The God of Jacob is not what we're depending on. I mean, Jacob is not what we're depending on. What we're depending on is the God of Jacob, right? And this is the good news for us. You're not dependent on me. Should I be consistent? Yes. Should I live a life that is consistent with my faith? Yes, I should. Am I what redeemed you? No. Am I flawed? Yes. Will I disappoint you and be inconsistent sometimes? Yes. Will I even treat you in a way that isn't right sometimes? Unfortunately, maybe. And sometimes, maybe even even now, you say, Rick didn't really treat me like he really saw me like I wished he would have. Sometimes I think he doesn't even know I'm there. And I apologize for that, but I'm flawed. But the God that redeemed me is not. Jacob can be Jacob is inconsistent and problematic, but the God of Jacob isn't. And that's who redeems us. And that's our standard. And that's who promised us redemption. I didn't go to the cross for you. But Jesus did. And he has never failed you. Nor will he ever. And he has never withheld forgiveness from those who sincerely repent, no matter how bad it's been. And sometimes, no matter how bad our kids may act, it doesn't mean that he's abandoned us. If we continue to repent and say, I want to finish well. And sometimes there's damage that we do in relationships that on this side of heaven just can't, just can't be resolved. To the, to the level we'd like it to be. But we can still tell people what God did for us, no matter how flawed we may be. So what are our takeaways today? Do what God tells you to do. Don't come up with your own plan. And don't disobey God to the point that you put your family in danger. 
Because if you think about this, Simeon and Levi will be held accountable for where they went over the line. They will. But they wouldn't have been in that situation either if Jacob had just moved on to Bethel. And maybe it's time for you and maybe it's time for me to move on to Bethel. And maybe we need to leave the place that we've landed because that's not where God told us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for having Moses document this historical event. And it is ugly. Uh, But at the same time, it reminds us that we still live in a pretty ugly world where things like what happened here seem to be in the headlines every day. Help us, Lord, not to not to, to claim one thing and then live another. Help us, Lord, to remember what you said to us in the Gospel of John when John was with you and he documented in the 15th chapter. That's what we named it. When you told them, as you tell us, if we will abide in you and you abide in us, that you will produce much fruit proving that we are your disciples. We just can't go off and leave you. We got to cling to you. We got to abide in you because you and you alone is where the power to change is and remains. So we abide in you. Thank you, Lord, for changing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, God, for being here, guys. Hey, if you need any help, if you're watching or listening somewhere, I can help you in any way. Rick at BurgessMinistries.com. Thanks a lot.